Hello. Hello. Industry. 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 Hello and welcome back to Industry Tactics. Friendly Rich here. Hope you're all doing well and thank you for coming back for more. Be prepared to be dazzled here. This is episode 142 with the master percussionist, music educator, and uh, one of the finest minds in music today, my lovely discussion with Ayun Huang. Enjoy. Industry Tactics. I'm delighted to uh, to interview you today, um, Ayun Huang. It's been you've been on my list to speak with for a long time. I I met you years ago. We're connected through another person I've interviewed on this podcast, a dear friend, Gregory O. Uh, episode seventy seven, dear listeners. If you want to go back and listen to that that discussion with Gregory O. Um, so you've been on my mind for a while to to get you on this podcast and talk about your incredible career and relationship with music. Um, so welcome. It's nice to see you. Thank you, Rich. It's nice to be here. And uh, I think we met probably 20 years ago. Has been oh. a while. <laughs> are, are, are you good with uh, time? I know you're a percussionist. Are you good with time? Hopefully. I think some days are better than other days. <laughs> Has it been 20 years since you were playing in Toka Loka? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I wow. think it's about 20 years that Greg and I have been working together. And uh, when we met, I think Greg was working with your band. That's how yes. we met it. Yeah. Yes. I think it's about 20 years, maybe a little bit less, but yeah. Uh, okay. Enough about Gregory O. How, um, how have you been then for the last 20 years? <laughs> Where do we start? So, I mean, maybe it has not been 20. Maybe I'm making yeah, this up. Yeah, it's been a while. I know yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think when I met you, perhaps I was about to start teaching at McGill or I was teaching at McGill. Yes. Yes. Is that right? So, yep. so I taught there for 11 years and in 2017, I moved to Toronto and I took up a position at the Faculty of Music um, at the University of Toronto and uh, we relocated uh, okay. and bought a house in Koreatown. Oh, amazing. Yeah, nearby Christie Pitts and um, I really enjoy being back in Tio and um, having nice. a lot of Asian food between my house and the walk to school and back. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And um, what 
are, do you prefer it over Montreal living? Or I know that's like apple, really apples and oranges, Toronto versus Montreal. But how how have you found that transition, be, be, having been in Montreal for a good uh, over a decade? Yeah, you know, Tor Toronto is so much faster when I first moved back. Uh, that was a little bit of shock to the system, just in terms of how different the pacing was. Okay. Um, it was both very exciting, but in some ways, you know, it was like, oh, I cannot believe I have to, you know, I thought I only had, you know, five gears and now I need to add a six gear just to keep up with what's happening. Um, yeah. But in some ways, you know, we're just really excited about the sort of um, restart. Um, in a city that we used to know very well. Because oh, nice. I did my undergrad here and yes. so, uh, in the early 90s. So coming back after 15 years, oh mm -hmm. no, 25 years. Coming back after 25 years, Toronto is a completely different city. And wow. I'm very sort of impressed with the diversity of people yeah. and sort of the acceptance of... Um, doesn't matter where you come from, you're yeah. just here working together. So I think that has been nice. quite, yeah, that has made an impression on me. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Versus um, definitely what's been in the news for the past little while. And I'm not saying, uh, I just, just Quebec has had a different go at it when it comes to their, um, you know, embracing of of, uh, of diversity in the in the way a city can function I think they've had I mean maybe not so much Montreal but the province of Quebec for sure has has had its uh has had its challenges that's that's an, an understatement I think you know yeah I think you're absolutely right just in terms of uh, policies and um, mm -hmm. acceptance and the way that um, Newcomers are viewed within the larger uh, French culture is often with suspicion. I think that's all very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you did your undergrad in Toronto. Did, so you you would have studied with, um, was it Russell? Yeah, so my teacher was uh, Russell Hartenberger and uh, Robin Engelman. And oh, wow. I also studied a little bit with uh, Bob Becker. Uh, oh, amazing. Two, yeah. two summers of uh, tabla study with Bob. And so it's nice like, to be able to reconnect coming back into the city and um, take over a program that meant a lot to me. So when Russell oh. was hired, I took over his position. So now oh. I, I run the percussion program, which is sort of you know a legacy program, I think, in the context, not just yeah. in Canada, but, but on the world stage because of the presence of Nexus throughout the 70s, yeah. 80s. Until recently, um, they have continuously draw a lot of um, interesting musicians and artists to the city of Toronto, working with yep. them. And through this process, I think a lot of young musicians benefit from just being able to be around the environment of music making, yeah. of just high level of um engagement with different type of people so so i think culturally um for me as a percussionist this has not been a difficult transition because i've come back to a place i brought back what i've earned what i've learned and what yep. i have de developed which is very different from sort of the nexus um yep. 
aesthetics and yeah. um, I'm kind of making it all work together. And wow. with the support, with the support of um of some of the colleagues that are still there, you know. So Bev Johnston is still teaching yeah. there, uh, John Rudolph, and um now sort um also Charles Settle, the principal of TSO. Mm. He's also um faculty and and they're just fantastic colleagues, really sort of um sort of um complement sort of what I can do and making the program very sort of well-rounded and we can sort of nurture students who come in who have very different background, who have different interests, who want to become very different kinds of musicians. And I think yeah. if I was just like by myself, I wouldn't be able to do that uh, considering how large the studio is. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I love when I hear you is the is the idea of um, you started there in a, in a way you kind of start. I mean, you, you were probably well on your way by the time you got to U of T for your undergrad. But the point is, you kind of knew what it was and you are able to honor like someone like Russell retiring. You have a direct lineage now and you're able to carry that forward, but with such a new lens. And also it's like. When did you graduate? The, the you said in the nineties. Yeah, I graduated in nineteen ninety five. Ninety five. So it's a very different world right now for an undergrad coming to you and saying, Absolutely. "Yeah, you know, uh, what is music right now versus when you were taking it on back then?" Like, what what do you find? Is that an interesting? concept for you to see yourself in some of these younger students coming to you and going and having all of that at play going how do i help you on find your voice in this as a percussionist as a young percussionist well i would say that music education well at least the the ones that i'm involved with has moved that like in the past 50 years have moved mm -hmm. from more sort of um teacher center to student mm -hmm. center. Nice. And it has to do, I think, with the landscape of the work. Because I think if you graduated, say, even before my time, um, yeah. there was more work. There okay. was more, I think there's more sort of um, traditional work. So if you right. were a performer, right. you graduate, you can wait for the phone to ring. And then if you do well, then the phone will keep ringing. And after maybe three to five years, you'll be all set. I don't think yes. that, I don't think that model really exists now for my students. It's not as clear a path to work even. Exactly. Yeah. Got so, it. So, but, but what I find incredible is that when young people come in, they have different ideas of, you know, and their reality is so different from mine. So a, a lot of what I do is I try to listen and understand what, yeah. may be the what may be their reality and how I can help them to kind okay. of get to their next step. And okay. of course, within this context, I think there are still a lot of traditional work that is going to carry on. So, so there are some steps that we cannot just like skip, you know, like okay. Okay. you have to be able to play well. Yeah. Right? So, so you're coming to school, learning to play your instrument as well as you can. So if the phone rings, you know, 
that you can take the gig and feel confident and you'll get called yep. back. But in addition yep. to that, what else do you want to do or do you have to do so that that your artistic life can be sort of open and be fulfilled? Like what are the other things that will make you happy besides nice. waiting for the phone to ring? So, so one of the things that... I have been sort of cultivating more in recent years is to help students to understand how they may be able to incorporate technology mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the broad sense into their um, artistic practice. You know what you almost started touching on there for me was the idea of like how to and I don't think we do a good enough job um, in our institutions that, to train people for this, but is how to find almost happiness or joy in in the path. And, and so you're talking about waiting for the phone to ring even. That just sounds like, um, you, you know, uh, uh, that, that even sounds stressful, is this idea of um, how, do, how to find, you know, like, almost coaching people through um, finding satisfaction in their work and and taking wrong turns in their in their career path with music because it's not a straight path for many anymore as especially as, as you talk about more traditional uh, paths in music so do, do are you finding is that at all in in your in your discussions with with young students of like how to find like almost when you talk about skipping a level there like how to make sure you're really happy with the because a lot of the times in music we just work 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 right it's it's just we almost lose sight of the joy in the making of the music you know right so the other thing is like sometimes it's hard for young people to judge what's fulfillment and what's success yes so they will think, well, I'm not successful unless I'm making a living just from playing music. Okay. And that is very different to say that I should, I am, well, I'm successful and I'm happy as long as I enjoy making music. So there's a separation between artistic fulfillment versus mm -hmm. financial obligation. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes those things are so tied together, we cannot really see clearly why yep. we're in it there you go you know what i mean i do i do i do that's 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 exactly what i was getting at so that's that's cool that you have an eye on that because i think the vibe at, at even the u of t faculty of music years ago is just that hustle and grind and like i know they, they were churning out and still do like a, a very high caliber of musician there's no doubt there you were talking about you have to play well um are, hey, have you noticed any shift there? Like, are are the music? How are the musicians? How is the quality? Because I know they're letting in more students. I think there's a quota there. Do you find there as as the level of musicianship uh, is it still there? Is it higher? Or, or how how impressed are you? And try to give an honest answer. I know some of your students might be listening, so don't you don't want to throw them under the bus, but. How has that changed over the last, even before, when you were from when you remember being a student at U of T to now? How, how has that changed? I think 
it's hard for me to have a clear perception of how the level was when I was a student. Yeah, fair I enough. Because I was a student. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't really judge. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I could judge myself against the people around me. Yeah. And say, yeah. Well, they play this so much better. Oh, they play like yeah. me, or they play less well than me in yeah. this particular area. Um, what I think the faculty of music is admitting students of diverse interest and abilities. So, okay. we, so some of the students that we are admitting is perhaps not the traditional um, model of conservatory students. Okay. But the program is creating rooms to accommodate their desire to grow. Cool. That's so it, it's basically, it has sort of different parts for people who want to do different oh, things. Oh, that's I mean, that's traditionally, I mean, that was always the case, right? Because yeah, traditionally, yeah. you have people who are in performance, then you have people who are in music education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then now there is a third path. So the third path is basically for people who are undecided. Okay. Who want to who want to have music as part of their work, but they're okay. not sure how it may turn out. Great. So I actually think that presents different kind of potential. Nice. So you see a whole sort of spectrum of people entering music, like when we combine sort of this curriculum together with the UT Scarborough. Mm -hmm. The Scarborough model is um, even broader. Is for people yep. who don't have music background. Wow! They they can select to, I think, major or minor in music, and they can start in zero. Great! I, I love it. I love it. And and so you are offering sort of opportunities for people to, to start from different angles rather than starting from the same base. So I think that the difference in concept is that we're not starting them always from here. Okay. Zero, yeah. one yeah. or two, um, or level A of the Royal Conservatory. So so that concept I think is now slightly different than before. I, I'm excited to hear that. Is this a uh, new development? I think this is before I came in. Um, okay. There was a program change before I came back, so I'm not exactly sure when that shift happened. Okay, okay. Is this oh, that's great. Did you go to U of T for undergrad? I did, yeah. I, I, I went to U of T. All of my degrees are from U of T. All your degrees, including your doctorate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your doctorate? Who? Uh, mu music education um, on my end, yeah. I went through that that path. And now that, that's actually like one of my questions for you is coming back as a as a professor at U of T, do you how do you how do you think of yourself day to day or does it matter? Are you you're a musician? That's the end that's the end thing. But is um how do you feel about your teaching? Have you always known that you were that you had this in you, this wanting to share you, you know, all, all of, you know, being a, being a professor, have you always had that goal of wanting to teach? Uh, I, no, 
No, no. I think I think there was a there was a turning point for me. So so when I finished my master's degree, I was um twenty five. So this is after my undergrad, after mm -hmm. spending a year in Europe, then mm -hmm. um and then um getting my master's degree from UC San Diego. And um, right. when I finished my master's, I was actually quite depressed. And I didn't really want to take more instructions from anyone. But at the same time, I didn't know what I could do. Okay, okay. So so, so at the time, I was offered um, a manager position to manage a little theater and a little percussion group back in Taipei, where I'm from. So I was born okay. in Kaohsiung, so that's a southern part of Taiwan. Yeah. And so I was offered this job in the main city of Taiwan, so Taipei. So I accepted this job. So I got into the DMA program, but I told my advisor that I am not sure that I could do it. I needed to take a year off. Okay. So, so I took this job. I moved back to Taiwan and mm -hmm. I was working like, you know, 12 to 14 hours days. So I had, I was managing the theater. I was running a percussion group. Mm -hmm. Then um, I was doing some adjunct teaching and a friend of mine um, decided to take a sabbatical to go to France. So when okay. she went to France, I took over her entire portfolio of schools. Uh. So then, then within three months, I was teaching, you know, at, at the music program at an elementary school, a middle school, mm. high school, mm. university. Then I was coaching a professional group. Well, I was running a percussion ensemble. I was managing the theater. Then I was subbing with the Taipei Philharmonic Orchestra as a so. Sub. So. so I, the, you, gentle, gentle listeners, if you're if you're listening, uh, Ayun is is counting every one of those roles, and she's up to eight. So this is the the big juggle of of, oh, of many musical lives, and 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 it's it's intense, you know. Yeah, it's very intense. So I rent this all up like within three months, and um, I ate all three meals in a taxi, and. Um, I was making actually very good money. I was making double salary of what professors were making in Taiwan. But then at some point I was like, oh, I don't know if I can get any better if this is what I'm going to do. I feel like this was going to be, as a freelancer, I reached the top and I reached the top in three months. And I mm. made all the money I could make, except I couldn't save any money because, you know, one third of my income went to taxi. Mm -hmm. okay. And and I didn't have time to practice. And so I, I was like, you know, what I really like about what I'm doing is that I can, I, I figure out I could actually teach that I am a gifted teacher. Like okay. I was better than the average. Okay. And I enjoy helping people getting better. I think that made me happy. You also sounded like um, if you don't have enough time in your day to practice, that's a pressure point for you not being happy. Is that accurate? Yeah. So if I didn't have time to make sure that I could improve myself, then, sure. then I feel like I'm a fake. 
right? Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. So, so at that point, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I can go back to school because now when I go back to school, I get my DMA. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Wow. Yeah. I can relate to that. I really like the idea of taking a bit of time away, zooming out, getting away from it a little bit. No, uh, really. And in your case, really honing in on something and learning and, and, and realizing it going, now I'm coming back with a vengeance because I really know what I want to do with it. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's exciting. Yeah. I, so I think that that made the DMA degree um, much more productive and with a focus and uh, with okay. specific goals that I wanted to accomplish. And sometimes when I see students coming in to apply for the DMA program, if I get the feeling that they want to come into the program because they are afraid of leaving school. Yeah, that's the wrong reason. And that is the wrong reason. So you did your, your DMA in San Diego, is that right, as well? Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. And, and, and when you went back with that vengeance, what, where, where, what did you want to focus on as, as part of that? Well, I knew then I knew that I wanted to teach because then I figured out I was actually good at it. And when I was able to teach, I actually got better. So I, okay. you, you have a degree in music education. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I do. I relate if you to this. Want to yeah. teach, if you want to teach something to students, you want to be responsible. You have to figure out what you're saying is actually good information. That you're right. not going to screw up somebody else's life because you are giving right. wrong information. Right. So right. It gives you incentives to really figure out yeah. what you're teaching. Yeah. So, so that, that sort of focuses on everything that I'm doing because then everything that I'm doing, I'm thinking about them slightly differently, making sure that I'm not wasting my time. And, and I think that's something that I learned, you know, when you have eight jobs, you learn yeah. how to be really efficient. I, yeah. I was always kind of efficient, but you know, when you have to, <laughs> when you have to, you know, do eight jobs, then you yeah. really need to be efficient or you just have to break down or, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I relate to that as well. Hey, hey, tell me this. Um, how many jobs do you have today in 2021? We're at the latter <laughs> the end of the year you still rocking eight eight microphones i still have several hats that i wear yeah, yeah. of course uh let's see so of course yop is my main job then um i run a five uh, i run a non-profit so soundscape festival yes yep yeah and we are in italy every year for two weeks i see that that's exciting yeah. Yeah, and the festival has been going on now for 18 years. Wow, um, wow. Yeah, uh, I would say those Beautiful. are my two main positions. But okay. within, within the university environment, I also wear several different hats. And yes, some, of, yes. some of them are, you know, teaching hats and some of them are more administrative and then some of them are more sort of research oriented. And yeah. 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 I love it. Um, Hey, let's, um, you ever hear this one? I like talking about Carlo Rossi wine, but I'd rather be drinking it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's play some of your music. Can we set up, you've released a, a couple of records here in the middle of this mess that we're in, haven't you? 
I did. I needed to uh, have a project to do. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, well, we'll talk about how the pandemic has treated you as um, I assume I, I, I have a feeling I know, but uh, let's get into Persefessa, this piece that, that, that this longer piece uh, that, that you've uh, released on, on Atmos. Can you tell us about it? Oh yeah. I, I would say that this is probably the best recording I have released in my career up to this point. So, um, wow. so this is a piece I actually don't play in this piece. I produced this recording. So I see. Okay, cool. This was a project um, I did between like 2012 and 2016. And it was a research project. Uh-huh. Um, and at the end of the research project, basically my students at that time, so this is when I was at McGill, um, okay. we recorded a bunch of pieces. Oh. And this piece, Persafasa by Yanis Zanakis, um, I think is one of the most incredible percussion works ever written. So, so he, Zanakis, mm. thought about surround sound back in, you know, 1959. And the okay. way he dealt with it was by placing each six different stations around yep. the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this piece was conceptualized in with surround sound in mind. Right, right. So prior to this point, all the recordings were released in stereo because that was the technology that we had. Yes. So you have the panning to kind of create a space that was, you know, from left to right with a little bit of depth, depth to it. But yeah. you never really have the effect of surround where one sound is coming out from, you know, one o'clock and one sound is coming out behind you at seven o'clock. If we were yeah. to think of, you know, we're sitting in the middle of a circle and facing 12. Yeah, yeah. So, so in fact, this recording that you are about to hear is one of the first recording that allows you to have that experience through a pair of headphones. Very so, cool. So, so this recording that I gave you, it's actually a private edition. It's not the public edition. So okay. the public release of the Emmys recording requires yeah. the surround system. So you physically need to have a bunch of like speakers in order to play the 7.1. And yeah. the recording that you're about to hear, it's the stereo um, printing of the 7.1 version. I see. So, so, so if you are listening to this podcast uh, <laughs> at this point, I will ask yeah. you to go get a pair of headphones. Yeah. So, so this is a recording um, that's most enjoyable if you have a pair of headphones. And well, here it comes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, go here it comes now. This is Persefessa, the, the, the Zanakis piece uh, on Atmos. And uh, uh, you know what? I said earlier that I was going to just play an excerpt, but that doesn't seem right. Why don't we just say this? Usually our, our our audio clips are, you know, three to five minutes long, but fuck that jazz. This is podcast land. We're going to put the whole thing up. And if you're not into it, you fast forward. It's 34 minutes. Who the hell's fast forwarding this? Go get a glass of Carlo Rossi wine. Sit back and prepare to be dazzled. So who's performing in this then? Oh, if- yes. 
Uh, the performers are Ben Rhyme, uh, Ben Reimer, okay, um, Olivia Tombley, mm -hmm. Karen Yu, Robert Cosgrove, uh, uh, Kyle Andrews, and Alex Haupt. All right, sit back and prepare to be dazzled. Here it comes now.
That was Persefessa. Wow, holy cow. And um, so you your role in, in this release, which I understand is number one right now? It was uh, number one across the devices last week. <laughs> Topping the charts, Ayun Huang, this is very exciting to be speaking with you. What was your role? You were a producer then on this, eh? Yes, yes, I was you a producer. That, yeah. You know, I'm so impressed. You brought that to life through your work at McGill. So there's this beautiful creative, uh, obviously, flair throughout all of what you do. Um, that one you said took four or five years to come to life. And now it's only released five years after that. Like, it seems like it's over a decade in the works, this piece, eh? Yeah, the whole project took, um, yeah, nine years from beginning wow. to finish. Yeah. You're patient. I, I learned to be more patient. Uh, why did it take why did it take so long to to release technology or what yeah this technology this cost this um just the actual complexity of producing something as um dense and as beautiful as high level as this just the amount nice. of time um so when we recorded this this is actually also a dvd release so if oh you, wow wow if you i can send you a copy rich if you Neat. still have a dvd player yeah do i do actually yeah okay yeah. then i'll send you a copy that's so exciting this is all done with a multi-angle and okay uh, okay multi-track so wow. wow so traditionally when people play this piece like in concert people have to um, simplify their parts because in order to play everything properly, yeah, you need you need probably like thirty six hands rather than twelve hands. Okay, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, so so the end, the very last section of this um, piece is an incredible journey of sounds traveling in space, forming wow. different patterns. So wow. like. For those who actually sat through the 34 minutes, yeah. you were rewarded in the last 10 minutes because you heard something that you would not have heard in any other piece of music. So like, you know, the piece of wood forming a different formation in space, pipes mm. forming a different formation in space, sounds mm. traveling in different directions. Um, so it's the first time that we could really hear that just through a pair of headphones. That's so beautiful. And I love hearing your excitement around this piece that took you nine plus years, it sounds like, to bring to the world. And and congratulations that it's number one. I like that's Thank so you. exciting to me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you're such a creative force. Are you tell me how, how you were affected during the pandemic and turn and, and how you kept your your focus in terms of still releasing work, uh, very meaningful work in this time. Yeah, the pandemic affected everybody differently. I felt so lucky that I had uh, a position at the university. And um, I would say that during the pandemic, especially in the first year, I shifted most of my attention to my students. Mm. Because, you know, all the concerts were canceled, but yeah. I, I just feel like it was affecting them much more than yeah, it was nice. affecting me. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I spent the first six months trying to figure out 
like what to do with the last academic year. So you know, like I don't know when when the pandemic first started, there were tons of people who were optimistic about the last academic year. They thought yeah. it would get better, and then we'll go back to normal in the winter semester. Right. Um, I somehow never thought that was going to happen. So I just accepted that from the beginning, the pandemic was going to be, you know, eighteen months long. Yeah. Okay. So, so I spent the first six months really kind of hmm. trying to reimagine how I can deliver, um, you know, entire year of curriculum without、yeah. being in the room with the students. Like, what kind of music can I play?、Um, right. And right. so, so I ended up actually commissioned a bunch of pieces that are not meant to be performed. Oh. oh! Oh! Amazing! Amazing! So I commissioned pieces that were only meant to be remote collaboration, like a live live stream. Like this is the stage that we're performing on、yeah. right here. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, and and you know, then when September came, I told my students, I said, you know what, everybody's going to be a percussion major and a music tech minor. There, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Because there's no other way. I mean, that was that was the only way. If、right. you want to keep making music, right? The, the ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. To enter was different. That、like、you needed to know something about music technology in order、yeah. to keep making music during、yep. the time of COVID. Yep. 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 So I made that really clear. And、um, in terms、mm. of what I did for myself, I I actually. Uh, I didn't really worry about. <laughs> I didn't really worry about all my gigs. I kind of got into making bread for a while. Just there you go, there you go. Okay, all right. Planet Earth, but at some point I was like,、yeah. oh, you know what? Hey, I have all these things that I didn't finish that had been、uh-huh. at burner. Uh huh. So I pull out all the projects that oh, I have oh, sort of、great. put on the back burner because interruptions. And、yeah. I so I release bunch of stuff. I release the solo disc. I release the MS recording. I release the DVD. I release a documentary. Then I release another video recording. Wow. And then I release bunch of stuff on YouTube. Uh, what, what's the <laughs> what, wow? So, uh, how could people find the stuff that you were just mentioning on YouTube? What's your, I know if you go to ihuanhuang.com, you'll find more. Are the links to your YouTube and other platforms there? Oh yeah, I haven't been updating my website, but hey, Rich, when is? <laughs> I promise to update my website. That's part, that's well. We're still in this pandemic, so I'll give it to you. You got like four days. Four days. Come on. Okay, I will update this before Christmas. <laughs> When are you going to broadcast this? This is coming on Monday. You, you oh. Got, it's okay, okay. okay. It's okay. It's okay. But where can people like? What's your YouTube? What's your YouTube? I haven't been like putting all this stuff on YouTube because all my projects they have their own websites. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I can talk a little bit about my documentary. So this documentary, yeah, yeah. I'm very proud of. Okay. okay well, so the documentary is called、uh, "Drumming in Magic Time." Oh, so wow. And so it features it features my teacher Russell Hartenberger. Oh yeah. So it's my um, it's my tribute. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. 
So, so basically, you know how Russell has been an original member of the Reich and musicians. Yes. And, um, and he was um, one of the people who premiered this piece called Drumming back in yes. 1971. And yes. so when this piece was first performed, there was no score. Okay. And, and so the piece was always taught um, through oral transmission. Yes, so somebody yes. who knows the piece comes to your place and teach you how to play the piece. Yes. Eventually, Reich published the score. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for people who have learned the piece through the score versus the oral tradition, yeah, they understand the piece slightly differently. Because when we learn piece through reading the score, there's a clear time signature. There's mm-hmm. a clear structure. Mm-hmm. When, when we learn it through sort of oral transmission, the experience is very different because right. you're learning primarily through imitation and also through listening. Right. So I wanted to capture what that experience is like. How can mm-hmm. you learn this piece? without ever looking at the scores. Amazing. Amazing. That's the, that's the premise of the documentary then? Yeah. Is yeah. Russell through this mission? That's really yeah. special. Yeah. And is that available? Like, could, could we find that online? Is it, is it yes. acceptable? Yes. So that's part of this website called Drumming at 50. Drumming at 50. Okay. Yeah. So it's a website that... Um, that has uh, two different videos. One is the recording and one oh, is great. the documentary. Amazing, amazing. And it has a bunch of podcasts, actually. So okay. there's a collaboration with um, Nexus and Soul Percussion and myself. Wow. So, okay. So, yeah, have a look. Wow. It's like, I will. Like a hundred hour, 100 hour worth of stuff. <laughs> wow, wow. What a well, what a well. So you've been, you've been really busy. And I love, you know, what I love is that idea of like, hey, wait a minute, we're all down in our little holes at this point, like cub- cubbied up a little bit w- regarding uh, w- with the pandemic. And then you start looking around your little hole and you go, hey, wait a minute, there's an old project here. There's an unfinished work here. So you've you've managed to catch up a little bit, like on, on, you got things done, which is, uh, which is nice to hear. Nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got some stuff done. So I was very happy with that. Yeah. And, um, as we wrap up, I want to play a tune from, oh my God, I was blown away by seeing your, um, performance of the ISIS talking Vivian Fung's piece. Is that what one of the pieces that you would have, um, commissioned in the pandemic? Uh, this was done before the pandemic. This was commissioned by the BEM Center back in. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. You playing two slabs of ice. Uh, check this out. You can you can look at it. it. Find it online, gentle listeners. The ice is talking. A piece by Vivian Fung. Very moving. Very exciting to to, to see that. Yeah, I, I think Vivian really found some beautiful sounds out of the ice, and when yeah. they amplify well, you. It's very captivating, you know. It's like a as ASMR experience, really. And are those? <laughs> yes, it is ASMR. And are those? Um, are those uh, electronics done by what's his name? Syme. I, I saw that. I should know. Yeah, it's done by Henry uh, Ng. 
So Henry was okay. working at the BAM Center. So he helped <sighs> to um, come up with a patch using a Yercom, um software. Oh. Oh, great. Okay, so that's that's live manipulation of of what you're 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 hitting. It's triggering and 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 yeah. Let's let's listen to something off of resonances. Um, a piece by Chris Harmon, Verve. Yeah, so there's a marimba solo. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice, and that's a um, piece that he wrote for me in 1996, maybe. Oh, amazing, amazing. Wow. Okay, so so this goes back, but uh Chris Harmon, let's say let's tee it up here.
So marimba, you know what always fascinates me about the life of a, of a percussionist is you could go from marimba to two slabs of ice, yet, you, you know what I mean? The, the spectrum of, you just hit anything that you can get your hands on and, and that's your instrument. It's really beautiful to me, the, um, the spectrum, but then also like hearing what you just performed on marimba the accuracy and having to it's almost like having to learn a whole family of instruments right it's really it's very challenging very unique very unique yeah yeah i i think that's a interesting thing about being a percussionist yeah you can never be bored (laughs) (laughs) are you um are you still you know i love your creative flair i love the way you approach things um i i love i love the the, just the idea of you commissioning a piece and kind of talking through some of these elements um are you still working with with people like gregory o are you keeping in touch and or is that harder to keep those collaborations alive being so far away at this point i guess well, Greg and I are co-teaching a seminar. Oh, shit. Yeah. So this is our second time doing it. We started some um, co-teaching a class together two years at, ago. At, at U of T? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And then it's the second time now. Um, and wow, what a dream. Yeah. And it's like so easy to work with Greg because uh. of, you know this long history that we yeah. have together yeah. as collaborators. Yeah. Yeah and we think alike okay okay we can can kind of move in sort of similar sort of um ways and uh but still quite different so students can get different perspectives wow what's the um so so how how do you go about it like what's the yeah what's the shape of it you've done for years now the course is called 21st Century Creative Performer. I want in. Taught by you and Greg, I want in. That sounds like a dream. So so we basically try to sort of um, break people out of their usual mold and trying to get them to think about space differently, mm-hmm. context differently, yeah. um, how to create a space from a very boring looking classroom. Okay. Um, how okay. to talk to people, how to talk to your audience, how to talk to your, your audience differently depending on who is in the room. How yeah. much talking is too much talking, you know, uh-huh. like like what what are some of the things that you should say and you should never say. So I we brought in for example uh Tom Allen. Yeah. Uh, to to give a workshop on how to talk to your audience yeah and fantastic you know that like he had yeah. all the very clear um ideas of of uh, things that you should not do so so um that's um, beautiful you you know you know I, I was just sort of cut you off but the, this idea of how much talking is too much talking no one's <laughs> asking that question it, many of us should you know i've been saying lately wouldn't it be great and, and this is a, a comment on myself obviously wouldn't it be great if we had a word count, if we actually had to be more mindful of the words that we're using? Because like Twitter, by the end of the day, you've reached your word count. You'd actually have to be silent. You're out of words. We just some of us just go on for 15 minute rants on one sentence. Take a breath. You're absolutely right. That's total wisdom for everyone listening. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could talk to you all day, but we're we're getting to the end of our of our, our very enjoyable chat here. Um, what is a uh, well? Uh, two more questions for you. How do you stay fresh being at this for so long in music? How do you still focus on that joy of why you got into it for the first place? In the first place, I think that um, teaching has been. Uh, a constant way for me to recharge mm -hmm. my own artistic energy. Because when when I teach every year, I engage with different students. So the people is always different. So that the change of sort of this interaction with different people and looking at different generations of artists coming through the building and what they are concerned with and and also just watch how they kind of evolve. Yeah. There's always a lot of energy there that they share with me. And nice. also I think I I I now pick my collaborators differently from before. Oh. So so you know when I was younger, maybe I was like really into um should we say like high profile gigs. I would love to play concertos because, you know, that means I'll have a guaranteed audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. My face will be on the poster. Yes. Um, I think that's still kind of fun to do. But yeah. now I spend more energy trying to collaborate with people that I admire. Oh, neat, neat, neat. So I want to... So, for example, recently I started working with uh, this violinist named um, Marie Kimura. Okay. And so we only connected during the pandemic and we became like really good friends. From Isn't working, that nice? Working on Zoom together for a year. And I have only met her in person two weeks ago in New York at a concert that we played together. And... Um, I think this has just been kind of um, the pandemic has just like made me think differently about who I want to spend a lot of time together in order to make art. And, uh, and that has different criteria now. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And also who you have access to in terms of forming relationships with. It's not just Oh, I'm only in Toronto now. Not that I ever saw you as having a brain in one city. You, you, you're, you're, you're all over the world with it, uh, with your work. But I think this allows more access to that, right? Yeah. So that's really cool. I like, I like how you're being more mindful of, of who you want to work with and why. And I also like that idea of like, it sounds a little bit like shedding ego, right? With not taking the concerto because it's, you know, you front and center it's more about the collaborative community building aspect of your work that you're interested in or or just get doing it for different reasons which is nice yeah i mean sometimes just to make very high level art that maybe it takes you know 10 years to make its impact i love that too you know what i really like is your eye on the long game rich i haven't seen you for 20 years that's how we started this conversation and then it took you nine years to put this number one uh, hit record, this Zanakis recording out. Um, 
you take your time uh, being a percussionist, you would. Um, but it's the long game, right? And it's it's really seeing the bigger picture that I really love. Um, so that's my, my last question for you here is, uh, thank you, by the way, this has just been a joy. My last question for you, because I want to land this right on the one hour mark, just in honor of you, okay? Um, uh, what what are some parting words of wisdom for a young student thinking about getting into this game of music that you might leave with them? Well, I think this is a hard one. I just because people are so different. Um, I would say that progress is not always a straight line. So sometimes when we are in the midst of getting to our goal, we mm -hmm. feel like we're not going up, we're going down. And that is okay. That's part of progress. Damn. You are, you are, your brain is a national treasure. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Rich. You've been so kind. No, you take good care. We'll talk soon, eh? Yeah, for sure. Bye, bye, ciao. Bye. Well, that was it. What a lovely chat. Go to ionhuang.com to learn more and uh, dig deeper into this amazing artist's career. And thank you for listening to Industry Tactics again. We'll see you again next week. Go to friendlyrich.com if you want to learn more about what I'm up to. And uh, thanks for all your support, friends. Really appreciate it. See you again soon.